welcome everyone to our Every Other Thursday podcast, where we cover the wide world of food service and hospitality. Our hosts cover both the relevant news of the moment and we invite key industry experts in for conversations that are informative, enlightening, and entertaining. Every Other Thursday is an approximately 40 to 50 minute conversation presented bi-weekly by Tabletop Journal. Now, here's your host of Every Other Thursday, Dave Turner. Hey, everyone. I want to welcome all our listeners back to Every Other Thursday. And by the way, for those of you who are counting, because I know you guys count every week, this is episode number 20 of Every Other Thursday. It's a hot August day and the storm, I think this hurricane, the storm has finally passed through and it's headed north up the East Coast. So we're all good to go. I'm Dave. I'm your host here at Every Other Thursday and back to normal. I'm here with both my colleagues this week, Greg Kirish and Jay Alley. Hey, guys, how are you? Hello. Hey, Dave. Everything good with you all? Everybody healthy? No storms? No nothing going on? No COVID? So far, so good. Good, good. Hey, guys, today, I know I've been excited the last couple of weeks because we've had some great guests, but I got to tell you, I'm really pumped today because we have a guest of all guests, a guy that, Greg, you know pretty well, so I'm going to let you talk a little bit about him, about Larry Deutsch from DVK Marketing. This guy is a brand guru, like we haven't talked with uh, here on every other Thursday yet so far, so I'm really, really excited about that. But we've got to get a couple, a little bit of business out of the way first, and as our listeners know by now, every other Thursday is our 30 minutes or so. There's no question we're going longer with Larry Deutsch today, so we'll probably be in that 50 to 60 minute range, but... Every other Thursday is our podcast where we take on all kinds of aspects of the world of hospitality and food service. And as usual, we'll give you our expert thoughts and opinions. And like it always is, this week's episode of Every Other Thursday is brought to you again by Tabletop Journal. Tabletop Journal is where we celebrate the products, the people, and the places all in the world of hospitality, Tabletop. So, Greg, you actually know Larry Deutsch a lot better than I do. What can you give our listeners uh, a little bit of a little snippet of who Larry is and why they should make sure they tune in this week? Larry has a lot of very interesting perspectives that he can speak from uh, real life experiences toward. He uh, started out his career with Technomic, which many of you will know is a, a well known market research and strategy company in the food service space. And from there, he went on to work for a number of food manufacturers and then leapt into the agency side, I believe, and with really big name agencies for probably the last 30 years. And most recently has gone on his own with a couple of partners and created DVK Marketing. So he's seen the business, both consumer side and food service side, from a lot of different perspectives as a consultant, as a supplier, from the agency side. He really does have a a very unique experience that he can bring to us. You know what I liked when I started doing some research on who this guy Larry Deutsch was? I liked that he, first of all, got a ton of experience. That's that's obvious. Well-known brands. But he's also done, and he's done food service and consumer, just like you said, Greg. But I really like that he's big and he's small with branding. He's worked with great brands, big brands, and he's worked with really emerging brands and small, you know, just brands that are just fighter brands, you know, that's starting out. And I think it's important to hear, and you're going to hear it in the discussion coming up, that when we say brands, even a small operator is a brand. So that's really important. So stay tuned. Everything we're going to be talking about is for you, whether you're big or whether you're small. And I've got a question, Jay, for Larry that we want to talk, make sure we weave in. I don't know how much Larry has done in this specifically in the tabletop hospitality tabletop category, but I'm going to ask him that. And he's going to, uh, I'm sure, have some great advice for us hospitality tabletop people. So with all of that, we got Larry waiting in the wings. Let's bring him on. Everybody, please, big every other Thursday welcome for Larry Deutsch. And everybody, I want to give a big welcome out to Larry Deutsch, who's joining us on the Every Other Thursday podcast. Larry, it's really great to have you with us. And I know Greg has given a little bit of your background in our intro, but we just know that there's more to you than this, and uh, both on the agency side and the client side. Can you give us a little snapshot of your experience and then maybe tell us a little bit about who DVK is? 
Sure. Well, thank you. And it's an honor to join you guys today. I've been a fan of your podcast and you've had some some great, great guests with some fabulous insights. So I, I hope to build on those and add some fresh perspective. Mine is a background that is a mix of consulting, client-side brand management, new product developments and innovation. And now the bulk of my career spent on the agency side. And I think the through line through it has always been about a business challenge and how do you solve for a business challenge with insights and innovation and creative solutions, but not creative for the sake of it, but creative to achieve a business goal. And that was grounded in me actually where I started my career, which was with Technomic Consultants and a foundation that really propelled me and taught me everything from great writing to presentation skills to being accountable for your work and standing in front of uh, the senior most executives of an organization to share a point of view and findings about everything from new product trends and restaurant trends to merger and acquisition candidates. And to this day, it has served me so well. So uh, that's where it started. Found my uh, love on the client side after recognizing that, you know, to, to recommend as a consultant, but not actually do is somewhat not as, as fulfilling. So got that great client side experience, launched new products, built brands, managed marketing resources and agencies. But along the way, the agency side really was my calling. It served me well. And fast forward, you know, 36, seven plus years later, launched DBK last August. We just celebrated our first year anniversary and we launched pre-pandemic, but have navigated and continued unabated through it. I have two fabulous partners, Doug Van Andel and Adam Kaplan. Together we formed DBK. And I think what binds the three of us is a left and right brain perspective that it is business and it is creative and how do you bring the two together how do you marry brand and sales to achieve those business outcomes wow that seems like a great combination it seems like uh, you've got the the best of every all the sides of uh, of brand management because we talk a lot about brand voices and messaging and all that positioning but at some point you have to pay the bills and so you have to make brands have to sell that's what it's all about it is. The object of the exercise, right, of marketing is to sell. And sometimes people get a little uncomfortable wanting to talk about the sales side. And we'll talk about this more this morning. But the ability for brands to have authenticity and transparency uh, in the pursuit of sales is what it's all about today. Cool. Today, Larry, we're going to talk primarily about food service in, in, in that category, but I know there's some some differences. In my mind, there's less, but you'll have a different uh, viewpoint, I'm sure. But what are the differences today between consumer brands and B2B brands like that we see in the food service business? Well, actually, I, I share your point of view that there are more similarities than not. And I think where a lot of people miss opportunity and maybe are mistaken is thinking that they are so different. The fact is that marketing is marketing and being insightful and innovative about your brand and, and your target are really consistent, whether you're a consumer brand or a, or a B2B brand. I think while the models are different and certainly in consumer goods, you know, the, the market is more fragmented. You know, you're marketing to many and you're trying to reach a, a fragmented universe that tend to shop either yes, now more online, but still going to bricks and mortar like a, a Walgreens, a Mariano's, a CVS, uh, an Ulta and Beauty, uh, all the grocery, you know, the Kroger's, the Safeways of the world. But whereas B2B, they're, they're more of a consolidated market. So for that, it's different. But getting to an ownable, differentiating brand and inspiring your audience, not just informing them, is still the same. And in fact, we're seeing more and more B2B players, not only in, in food service, but outside of food service, recognize that you still have to engage emotionally. You can't just build a better mousetrap. You can't just win on your functional attributes. You have to engage emotionally, and, and that is even more apt, more leverageable in B2B these days than ever. I'm just going to ask a quick question here, and maybe Jay could even help out on this. You know, when I think, when I, for my food service experience, one of the challenges was your customer wasn't, I mean, it was ultimately the restaurateur, but really your customer was the distributor between the restaurateur, the operator. And so if you want to change behaviors, you have to get to that, to that operator. How do you do that through the distributor wall? It's almost impossible. 
You don't control <laughs> your brand voice. You're talking to the right guy here. We won't get into that too heavily. But yeah, that's part of the problem like we're having is that we have a great product, but most distributors that we work with, are, they're good people, but they're motivated by profits and stuff. And you know, sometimes we're more, more motivated by passion and quality and all that other stuff. And it's a hard thing. We're, we're trying now to do some different things with social media and all those things to try to get people more aware. We have a new website that tells a nice story. So you got to tell it to the people that are ultimately going to hold it in their hand and drink from it in the restaurant. If, you, if you're waiting, I think, going forward for just a, a regular distributor to do the job for you, unless you've got some kind of a powerhouse brand, chemical, I don't know. So, so Larry, does that, does that play into your scenario? It does. In fact, for many of our clients, we say this overtly, that the job of marketing is to arm sales. To, to make the call that even in a B2B context, even in a selling context, you need to have a powerful story. And its story is not just about creativity, it's about business building, it's about engaging your patron, it's about differentiating your, your offering and your, uh, your location, your brand, et cetera. So it's equally relevant. And again, when marketing and sales, regardless of the uh, organization are really arm in arm, hand in hand, and Jay hit on a really important point, the role of digital and social, allowing you to kind of shoot over the shoulder of the distributor, if you will, to reach your end user is something that all brands have obviously been leaning into for years. And we'll talk about this some more, you know, can do so even in the, in the face of a pandemic. So can, can you give a, you know, a couple of examples of, you know, of maybe what these consumer type retail type practices that might be used by food service operators? Absolutely. I think if I were to isolate on one, for starters, it's around insight. In packaged goods, they call it shopper insight. It's going to a retailer and saying, we know your shopper as well as anybody. And our programs are designed to engage your shopper to come to your store to buy not only our brands, but everything else in their basket. And you hold up a profile of that shopper and you show that perhaps the shopper uh, is is more inclined to buy premium brands, and therefore they're worth more. And when you have that holistic perspective, and a holistic is a really important word here, and you get beyond your own category and your own sell story, to think about how that shopper, that consumer, that patron has something else going on in their life beyond buying your product, that's where you can really engage any B2B constituent to see a bigger picture and see that you're helping to grow their business, not just your own. Larry, we talk a lot about a trust, brand trust, and, and brands standing for trust and all that. But you used a great word, inspiration. Can you expand upon that inspiration? How does that, what does inspiration look like to Greg's question, to the supply chain person, the dealer distributor? And then what is it, how does that same inspiration translate out to the operator? Yeah, thank you for, for catching that. You know, there's the old saying, right, that people are uh, drowning in information, but thirsty for inspiration. You know, inspiration, insight, as we call it, comes from distilling all the data, all the research, all the observation into a very clarifying insight that is what informs and inspires any of the work. So that's from a creative standpoint. In the context of, of your question, it's showing how any constituents in the uh, food chain, if you will, is going to benefit from your program or your brand that what's in it for them, right? The old with me, as they call it, but putting it not just in a transactional context, but in something larger. And I think that's where B2B does suffer too much is perhaps allowing their, their marketing to be too transactional. I've got this to sell to you to pass along in the process as opposed to what can we do together that's truly transformational? And that's uh, taken on a whole different proportion today, again, in the face of pandemic. It has implications long-term, not just short-term, but it's really having that holistic perspective and putting your, your consumer in a lifestyle context, not just a category context. It's something we preach a lot. I like to say in packaged goods that brands compete in category, but they live in lifestyle. The same is true service. 
So let, let, let me just you know put you on the spot and drill down. You know, so here's Jay, our good friend here, who sells good quality. He's the client, by the way, for the audience. He's the client side guy. Yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. He sells excellent quality, wonderful glassware, drinkware. How would how would you call it, Jay? Glassware, correct? High performance crystal, isn't it? You've taught me right. High performance crystal wine glasses and barware, Scotch glasses. Okay, so like, and he and he's selling to a wide variety of uh, of operators out there. I want a couple of examples of what might help the operator and him. So here's glass. You know, everybody's buying is is buying wine, or they want to sell more wine, and you want to improve the guest experience. What might be an example of this kind of branding? Yeah, so that's a great question, Greg. It's all about putting the glassware in the context of the entire experience, right? We're not just selling glassware, right? Because if you are, then you're just categorical and you're, you can be commoditized. We're, as opposed to, we are an essential ingredient. We are an essential component of a larger experience to a more profitable, more attractive diner, right? And, mm -hmm. and everything that you, the restaurateur, stand for and everybody that you want to attract that we contribute to that larger experience. So it's elevating it beyond the category to the total experience. Again, getting back to more of a holistic perspective and putting yourself in the line of sight of a more, what I will call attractive, more profitable, more worthy uh, you know, patron. Hey, Larry, I'm gonna interrupt you for a second, Larry, because I don't want you to talk anymore because you're gonna to have to send Jay an invoice here if you keep talking. Well, I was gonna send Greg one. <laughs> but Larry, I do wanna ask you about some of the experience of your other DVK partners. So you talked about they're more operational and the, how does that, what's that holistic approach that DVK brings? Yeah, and, and I just to be clear, my partners are equally strategic and creative. And you know, I like to say that there's kind of three sides to the brain when it comes to, uh, to agencies, if you will. There's a business side, there's what we call planning and there's creative. And when the three are working in harmony as opposed to siloed, that's where the magic is. And we're not alone in that. We're a boutique and we're, uh, we're proud of the 100 plus years of experience that we bring. And we're proud of every gray hair earned in the course of our career. And I'm having this conversation with many people today that, you know, it's a great time to be an adult. You know, it's a great time for wisdom and perspective as long as you stay fresh and you stay current. So my partners and I are, are united and very much not only philosophically aligned about the role of marketing, but very complementary in our capabilities and how we seamlessly bring that together in a very fluid, very agile way. And I, I can't stress the agility enough that no matter who you are, right, no, whether you're a, a brand, a marketer, an agency or a service provider, agility really is the key now and getting to solutions in a fluid agile thought and yet still thoughtful way and that's what we're about that's how we're working together that's why our partnership is has been a joy but i'll be very transparent we keep good company right there's a lot of people who are working this way and very kind of aligned and going to market in a similar fashion but we're proud of what we're building and what we have built and finding great need in the marketplace for for something more ex experienced yet agile very cool. Very cool. And, and you just celebrated one year. That's a lifetime. Yeah, it's been fascinating, I have to tell you. And uh, it's been uh, a fabulous year, pan, you know, the pandemic aside. And one of the things that we're enjoying, and maybe this is an important message for, for everybody, is we have a very collaborative model. Maybe in years past, you know, an organization might, like us might have been competitive, might have been a little too inward and protective, as opposed to today, there are so many wonderful talents and resources and subject matter experts that we can customize our team and bring those resources forward in a very collaborative way and be better together. And that very open model, open source has been a big part of not only our success, but I think our enrichment that we're getting at this stage in our lives and careers. And it's very fresh and enriching. The question I have, is Dave brought up the word trust, and he and I we talk about this all the time. And, and then you you brought up the stuff gets too transactional, which which Dave and I both completely agree on. So how much, like in my job, there's a lot of companies that have good products like mine. So a lot of times people say, well, you know, what can you do for us? And but the way I approach it is, look, I'm not I'm not just here to sell you a glassware. I'm here to try to sell you what's proper for your op opportunity, uh, your application that, that's going to make uh, the dining experience in your restaurant based on your theme better for your guests. So 
yeah, I just, I just don't usually walk in with a glass and go, you're going to love this. You know, tell me, tell me what you're trying to do. And sometimes I got to tell you, I can't help you. And then there's other times where I've got to talk you into a different product, but we're always acting as consultants, at least in my mind, trying to just fit the right product. And when you do that, then the customers trust you. Like I can call any one of my big national accounts and they'll give me a chance to talk to them. They may not buy what I'm selling, but they know that if I'm bringing them a point that they can trust that I'm, I'm trying to show them something that will be meaningful for them, meaningful for their operation and helping to make their guest experience better. So I guess it's all about taking that simply always being transactional and bringing a trust factor in and more of a consultant on the products that you're selling. For those listeners that were with us in our early podcast, we use the word dialogue all the time. And that's yeah. really what a lot of this is about, creating a dialogue. And at that time, before the pandemic, we we're talking about new products and whether those new products would actually be used for that application or not, at least they created a dialogue. Right. And that's and that's really, you know, what we're trying what we're trying to do. Yeah. And I'm so glad you're hitting on the trust piece. And and Jay, I think what you articulated is really indicative of somebody who's trustworthy. Being transparent and, and being honest. You know, sometimes you gotta know when to step away or when it's not right. And to Greg, to your point about a dialogue, you have a dialogue with somebody, you know, who you have a relationship with right? As opposed to a monologue. And I think bringing it back to B2B, all too often people treat it like a monologue and are focused on the transaction as opposed to the relationship. And I can't stress it enough. And I'm so heartened to hear you all pick up on it. It really is the essence of any brand story today, because a story has to be rooted in something authentic. And you can't be authentic if you're not truly honest and operate with integrity. In consumer packaged goods, you know, companies will go to a, a, a key customer and say, you know, we don't want to be in all your stores. We want to be in these stores because this is where our shopper really is best found. And it would be in our mutual best interest if we focused on these 10, 20, 30 percent as opposed to being greedy and asking for the, the whole thing, if you will. So many of the points that I think that we're covering here, it's, it's quite gratifying. Again, going back to our earlier episodes where we talked about it didn't mean to be in any way flippant or demeaning, think small. And then what we meant by that is that all the little details add up to a lot of impact. So in the case of, if I'm hearing correctly, in the case of drinkware, that's one small portion of the entire picture that the operator is dealing with. And if you add all those little pieces together, it has one big impact. I'm thinking, is that what we're is that what we're all collectively saying? I think you're 100% right. And in the case of big accounts like a Darden or a Ruth Chris or a Smith Walensky or a Capital Grill or any of those accounts, when we go in to talk to someone about product, and, and I'm not trying to say that I do this and other people don't, I'm sure tons of people do do it. But one of the things that I'm always cognizant of, is if you pitch a food and beverage person and then the purchasing people and they come on board to buy your products, guess what? If that product doesn't work, what do you think could happen? So a, a, a Darden puts in a product that I suggested is a wrong product for the application. I knew it. I shouldn't have sold them that. I didn't have another alternative or another solution. Maybe I should have walked away, but I didn't. And I sold them a product that wasn't right. And in my case, I always make a joke of it because we have sheer rim martinis. Well, martinis are a glass person's nightmare because that's the most breakable product in the world. When I would go to a show and someone would be looking at our martinis on, on the display, and you talk to them about where, where are they from? Well, I'm in Terre Haute, Indiana, and we own a steakhouse that goes crazy on the weekends. And by the way, we're using brand X martini glasses, which is a commodity product, and we're breaking them like crazy. We really love this glass. How do you think it would work? I don't have a commodity martini. My answer to that is put the glass down and please step away from the booth jokingly because I'm smiling. I cannot sell you that product. And they go, you're kidding. And I go, no, I'm not kidding. I said, you just told me you're breaking one of the strongest martini glasses on the planet. And, and I'm, I'm glad you love it because ours is a beautiful product. It's very nice in your hand, but it's not going to work for what you're trying to do. Now, I got wine glasses that are working in that application, but I can't help you with a martini glass. And it's funny because when we first started doing this kind of stuff, a couple of other German managers were in, in town and they heard me say that and they go, Jay, you're going to send them over to some other place to buy martinis. Maybe they'll buy their wine glass. I go, maybe they will. But they'll never be able to say that, you know, that I didn't give them a straight answer. And in many cases, what would happen, the people would go do that. And then they would come back and buy our wine glasses. But our guys were so afraid that they would go see somebody else's catalog. And, oh, my God, you know, you can't send them to a, co a competitor. Yeah. But that's never scared me. I think I probably have 
reap the benefit of that kind of an attitude. Greg, to your point about thinking small and JD to where you just left off, you know, we have a saying, you know, in our business, you know, that, you know, everything counts because everything communicates. And I think that's so true in food service from the moment you drive up, whether there's LA parking or you walk in the door and you're greeted by the hostess to the decor, to the tableware, to the service, every single facet, right? And you all know better than anybody, one part of that isn't right. You know, it disrupts the entire experience and bringing it back to thinking holistically, you know, when you're thinking holistically, you have an appreciation for everything as opposed to that's not my concern. I'm not concerned with the table where I'm concerned with the, you know, the back of the house, et cetera. So true in your business, but that's a, a way of thinking and a way of collaborating that is true for any business, no matter, you know, in or outside your category. So for our regular listeners, I, I want to say that we did not prompt Larry with these with these answers. This is this is all fresh to us, but it really is again gratifying because I think it's really what it's been a lot a lot of our theme from previous episodes. If I may, just a personal aside, and I just have to share this, and Greg will appreciate this. I grew up in a family retail business, a business my grandfather started in 1921, and that my father and my my mother and my my brother carried forward. And my father had a saying, and it was said with nothing but humility and with, uh, he said, act like you own the place. And what he meant was, you're not the boss, right? You're not in charge because your name is on the door, your last name. But when you act like an owner, right? You think about everything and everything from the appearance, et cetera, to something, Jay, you said, letting a customer walk because it's the right thing to do. And I just... It, it instilled in me an, a sense of ownership that whether somebody grew up in a family business or not, I think when you think and act like an owner, regardless, and when ownership treats people like owners, that's where you get some fabulous organizations, B to B to B to C. So I just wanted to share that because I think that's something that I certainly pride myself on, but I think anybody can act on and and take insight from. In our business, especially in, in hospitality, our company. Um, I won't say we're, we're a little different, but maybe in this case, we're a lot different because one of the things that, that I feel like is a customer call me up, they'll call me up once in a while and go, well, I'm having a problem. No, you're not. Tell me what's wrong. <laughs> well, this, this is what's going on. Okay. And it's fixed and it's overfixed. So if you, you've broken some glassware and you know a lot, that can be for a lot of reasons, a lot of times glassware, the older it gets, starts to store shock and then it has what I call a glassware heart attack. So if someone calls me up and says, hey, I've had, over the last month, I broke an extra six or eight glasses. We, we never had this problem before. What am I going to do? Send them six or eight glasses? I send them a case of glass. Right. Yeah. And then, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll typically call back and go, these are so much better. You must have changed the manufacturing. They go, well, they're always improving them. But, you know, the reality of it is, is they, they hadn't been beat around for a year or two, so they were still pretty fresh. But when you take care of a customer like that, that's almost more important in your product because if they know when they call you with a concern that they, they don't have a problem, it's going to be fixed. It'll be overfixed. And a lot of times, hey, I'm looking for this. What do you got, Jay, that might work? So you sell more product because, again, they trust you. They know that they have any kind of a challenge or what, you're going to fix it for them. And that, that all, I think, you know, I don't know if that fits under the holistic profile, but it's not just about the transaction and the products all the time. It's also the people you're dealing with. And if they don't trust you, you're dead meat. It's done. So I think that's you know a very important part of the equation. The other part is, again, that we talk a lot about here is that you know, the operator, this is what, you know, the glassware breaking, that's one of a million right. things that, that they have going on right now. And they're just like, you people are, you know, obviously scared and turning and turning around in circles, trying to get their businesses back up. Yep. And it's like, okay, now how do I get them to, to, you know, because, you know, we're not trying to pull a fast one on anyone. This is important stuff, but it's just one of a, of a tabletop is just one of a million things they're dealing with right now. Yeah, if you, and if you're one of the tabletop people that sells them something, and if they know they call you with an issue, there's never going to be a problem. You're going to take care of it immediately. They're going to call you. If they call a person that one says he'll take care of you, or she says they'll take care of you, and it never gets back to them, or they, don't, they won't call you anymore. They'll try to find another way, and it won't be with you. And that's Your reputation kind of speaks volumes. Okay, we're going to take a break right now. We're here with the outstanding guest, Larry Deutsch from DVK. Is it DVK Marketing? Yes, sir. Okay. And what's the website so uh, people can Google it while they're listening to this? DVKMarketing.com. DVKMarketing.com. 
Cool. Larry Deutsch is with us. And this has been, uh, you can always tell when things are going great because we run long and we've run a little long in the first segment here. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to get into specific things that food service marketers and, and sellers can do, some brands and food service can do and hospitality. But I also want to talk about the tabletop category. And then finally, we can't have a great guest like Larry Deutsch on here and not talk about things that we're doing different in a COVID world. So we'll be right back with more with Larry Deutsch. This episode of Every Other Thursday is brought to you by TabletopJournal.com. For more than nine years now, Tabletop Journal has been covering the food service and hospitality industry, all the while raising the awareness of just how important Tabletop is to the overall guest dining experience. If you haven't signed up for Tabletop Journal's bi-monthly newsletter, it's simple and easy, and it's free. Simply go to TabletopJournalNewsletter.com. Now, back to our podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. We're here with the great Larry Deutsch from DVK Marketing, and it's dvkmarketing.com if you want to look it up while we're sitting here talking to Larry. Larry, during the break, and all the cool stuff happens during the break, but during the break, we were talking about a variety of things, and one of the points you touched on, which was fabulous, is empathy. And I want to, uh, if you wouldn't mind going through some of that again and taking our listeners through this whole concept of empathy. Yeah, I was picking up where Greg left off before the break that, you know, this is something that is really driving all of our work and not just our creative work, but our relationships. And and there's a big difference between empathy and sympathy, right? Empathy is really about walking in somebody's shoes, seeing the world through their eyes. And whether you are in a selling context from a B2B, understanding that whoever you're calling on, they've got a hell of a lot of other things going on in their life and their business than your sales call. The same thing is true with the consumer, right? And, and again, pre-COVID, during, or post, we all have so much going on in our life that brands and organizations that really are truly empathetic, not superficially empathetic, and really do walk in the shoes of whoever they're engaging with, then you cannot just communicate with them in a proper way, in an inspiring way, but you can really create that dialogue, have that relationship. So I didn't want that thought to get lost because I think it's driving everything from great creativity to just great business relationships and collaboration. Great. That's that's great advice and great things to take to heart if you're a marketer or a seller in no matter what industry you're in, on what side of the B2C or B2B. But now, I, Larry, I want to get more specifically into food service. I said before we took the break, we're going to talk about specific things that are related to food service. We're going to talk a little bit about COVID, of course, and then we're going to really hit the nail on tabletop as well in food service. But let's start talking about food service in general. When you get into food service and the marketing of brands or even products and the selling of them, we could go on all day about marketing versus selling, but what are brands and certainly products, what do they have to do to be successful within the food service world? And, and how is that different from uh, fast moving consumer goods? Yeah, great question. I think where I start is the notion of making an emotional connection, right? I'm not going to that restaurant or buying the, that product strictly for hunger or to satiate, right? If I'm only competing or marketing myself in that regard, I'm commoditized, right? And I can be at the mercy of price, location, et cetera. But when any brand, and I think this is where food service really has the great advantage because you're selling an experience, right? including your people and, and that feeling that we all get when we walk into an establishment and we feel warmth, we feel engagement. Jay was talking earlier at the break about when you walk into a retail store today and you can't find anybody to help you or have any expertise about the product you're looking for. That's where food service can stand in a unique way. So thinking about that total experience, recognizing that people maybe buy products for functional reasons, but they commit to brands for emotional reasons. And whether it's the restaurants that we love and advocate and support or any other brand. And I think that's something where food service can take great insight from consumer brands, but I think has a unique advantage because you're selling even more of an experience in both a physical way and tangible way, but you can also extend in a social and, and digital way. I love that that connection that great brands bring, no matter whether it's B2C, B2B, whatever. People, I agree with you, people, they may buy a product, but they connect with brands on an emotional level. 
And I think that's so, so important, particularly brands over the long haul. And it's hard, uh, hard to make your brand or uh, connect with people. We live in such a noisy world these days. And one thing that's important is for a lot of our listeners that it may be an operator from a, from a one unit, independent, they are a brand. The entire experience that you've created for your guests is a, is a brand. And that's what we're talking here. So it's not just big companies that are brands. Everything down to the, to the push cart is a brand. Yep. Hey, Greg, I'm really glad you brought up the notion of size because this is something that's applicable and transferable regardless of size. And I would even say that smaller brands have an ability to deliver an end-to-end experience in a, in a seamless way that maybe bigger monoliths can't. So for example, I'm working with a, a brand that is selling primarily at farmer's markets. They have a very powerful story to tell and they have authenticity. And the things that we are talking to them about are equally applicable and actionable. I think maybe that's the operative word. This is all actionable. So don't let size be a, a barrier or put yourself in a box that you can't do what the quote unquote big brands do. And all this stuff is, you know, and every little aspect is important. I think, I think we, we know that, the operator knows that, but I think it's, it's actually more important than people actually, actually think, all these, little, all these little pieces. But I, you know, again, I go back and we are totally empathetic there's an article in the Chicago Tribune today about a, a high-end restaurant that took it on the chin with the pandemic. They came back to open it up, and the night they were before they were going to open up, we had the urban unrest. The place got busted up, looted. So the point is, are these people thinking about the small stuff at this point or not? And they want to get up and running, but the small stuff still is important. You know? Yeah, and who does who doesn't like a real small emerging brand that's cool as hell and coming on? And uh, I think we all love that underdog. Yeah, we may we may drink a lot of Coca Cola, mm-hmm. but th- there's a reason why Coke and Pepsi and these these large behemoth type companies go out and purchase these cool little brands because they bring something that Coke probably can't do internally, or they would have done it. So cool brands are really necessary because they keep big brands on their toes and they bring that that special consumer, they bring them something that they haven't seen before they want to try because there is that consumer out there who wants to be at the leading edge and try the newest and the coolest soft drink or sparkling water or wear the coolest, the, the new shoes, et cetera. Primary, primary example of that is how Sam Adams got started. Yeah, but they're not so small anymore. They're kind of big, aren't they? Yeah, they're, they're pretty small. They think small. No, no. Well, they started the guy carrying samples. Uh, the owner started carrying samples. He's a lawyer and started carrying samples of the beer in his briefcase. Yeah. But today, I think they're a couple, couple percent of the whole beer market. And people think, I mean, they're big, but you know, that's the beer market's massive, I guess. I want to get into uh, into the food service, non-food side. And I want to. I know we've got a lot of listeners out there from the tabletop category, and I want to. I want to give them some, uh, hopefully, some great advice here, some great guidelines, whatever. But COVID aside, just for a moment, because we're going to talk about COVID uh, after this. Larry, how do you suggest that a tabletop brand, usually they're smaller on the smaller side, we think of them as big if you're in the category, but, but relative to food and beverage, tabletop's a pretty small category. How would you suggest that people can really build their brand in a food service sector where budgets are really limited and the food service supply chain is, is really dynamic right now and it's evolving all over the place. What advice would you give to a small non-food supplier in the food service sector? Yeah, fabulous question. This is a space that you gentlemen obviously have forgotten more than uh, I know, but here's my perspective from the outside looking in. I love the freshness of the new perspectives. Right. One would be, instead of thinking small, think big in that, think holistically. Think about how your tabletop item fits in the context of the larger dining experience. So you're not isolating yourself to this segment or this fragment of the experience. Perhaps secondarily, where's the potential to collaborate and partner? What we call it coopetition, right? Instead of competition, it's cooperating. And perhaps instead of viewing somebody as a competitor, is there the potential to align and collaborate and, and be, you know, go to market together and be better together? A thought there as I think about the total experience. The last is, and I think this is huge for anybody, the role of content, right? Instead of promoting yourself strictly on your functional attributes, your line, your product, your specs, 
what's the content we can create and how do you, you know, shoot for an online world, a mobile world where your product is in context of this larger experience and maybe you're not just promoting your product, maybe you're promoting a recipe or maybe you're promoting some tips for in-home dining or how to take your backyard barbecue that's uh, socially distant and be part of that. So the role of content to give consumers a reason to care about your brand and to care about you in this larger context are, are three thoughts that come to mind. And I welcome your thoughts and builds by all means. Are we all going to be a media company some in the near future? Is everybody and every brand and every company going to become a media company? I think you should think of yourself that way. Think of yourself as a, as a creator and don't limit yourself to your digital or creative capabilities, but try to step back and think about what's the content, something that we like to say DBK, is, you know, what's the power potential and permission for my brand, right? The power comes from certain strengths that I currently have, current muscles that I can flex because of who I am and what I'm known for. Again, regardless of size. The potential is there is a potential to flex some new muscles and in particular, create more of an emotional connection from that functional foundation that's been set. And the permission is twofold. The permission that your consumer gives you to go there, to go there with them and say, that's content that I would expect from that brand, from that provider, you know, and for them to talk to me about my larger in-home experience or dining, that's cool. I'll go there. But it's also the permission that that organization gives themselves to go there and stretch beyond and, and be bolder in their own aspiration and in their own way that they're selling and promoting themselves. That's cool. I think that the idea of giving people a reason to care about your brand is something that's a great takeaway because I think oftentimes, and particularly in COVID times, and I want to get to COVID next, but in COVID times, there's a lot of pressure on companies of all types to move the top line needle. Okay. So, and what we were talking about before, empathy and understanding when it's right to walk away, Jay's point about not selling a product to a customer because it's not the right thing. There's still an awful lot of pressure, particularly now to get that top line moving forward and get sales. I wouldn't say at all costs, but we might have a tendency to forget some of those axioms that you gave us, those great axioms. But I really think that that whole idea about creating a holistic approach and giving people a care uh, to care about your brand, that's really still going to always be important either in COVID times or post-COVID times. Absolutely. And I it, forgive the language, but this is the very honest, transparent way we talk amongst ourselves and with our partners is you have to give people a reason to give a shit. Yep. Honestly, you know, and, and forgive the language, but it's really being that honest with ourselves and, and challenging ourselves, challenge, you know, how we challenge ourselves as an organization, how we challenge our partners that at the end of the day, you know, whether you're a brand, a product, a service, a celebrity, uh, you know, whatever entity, people have to have a reason to care and to give a blank. And when you put it in that context, it kind of strips away the bull. Yep. and really get to some inspiration and some meaningful ways to promote yourself and, and brand yourself and tell your story. So as, as we walk into this, uh, the COVID part of this conversation, I've been thinking a lot about our previous episodes and I'm thinking, do those, are those still relevant? And from this conversation, the point is, is that they absolutely are because what we were dealing with was at that time was all these I hate to use the word small, but small or details that all combine for the total guest experience. And that hasn't changed a bit walking into where we are now. It's just that I think it's harder for the operator or, or the manufacturer, for that matter, to focus on those kind of details when, in fact, they're, they're, they're scrambling, dealing with the, with the big issues. But we're just saying, don't forget the details. Yeah. Larry, I couldn't help but think as you were just finishing off your your last comments on uh, caring for your brand and giving a shit and all uh, that, I can't help but think that we spend a lot of time today talking about cultures of companies, and I and I'm thinking about leadership, uh, C-suite people, and the first sale is to sell their own their own employees, their own work colleagues, their work associates, on 
why their brands matter. And I'd love to have you come back sometime and just talk about that internal cell that goes on in, in, in addition to the external cell of a product or whatever. Because when you send out your employees with a typically most of the time we think of as salespeople going out into a world. And but when you send out messages through marketing or whatever, when you send out an employee to post their their own uh, whatever's on social media, those people have to have a reason to care about the brand too. And to me, the culture of a company in past years has been a very transactional one. You show up for work, you do X amount of widgets a, a day or X amount of sales, we pay you a check. That's the transactional nature. But beyond that, I think today, particularly younger people today in, in this generation want something more. They're looking for something that's maybe less tangible, but far more important internally. And so uh, I think the selling and having people give a shit about your brand, I think that first starts internally. I could not agree more. And you're right. That's a subject for a whole nother podcast. But just to put a cherry on top of that, it's often overlooked. It's a big mistake to overlook it. People are too externally focused on, yes, going out and selling. But if your organization isn't aligned around your brand, if they don't know what your brand stands for, we talk about this all the time. A lot of people experience a brand through an 800 number, right? Or an email, right? And if Jay or his colleagues are out there saying this to the marketplace and somebody picks up the phone and has a less than stellar experience, you know, and this is where empathy is important. And this is where having a true brand purpose is so important. So could not agree more. And again, regardless of size, and I would even argue that smaller firms, smaller operators have a greater ability to impact their people in a positive and authentic way that they are advocates for a brand, not just salespeople. And don't leave out the word empathy when it comes to today's employees and work associates either, because I think everybody, no matter where you talk to people in the world, are going through something with COVID. Either they've lost a job and or or loved one, or they're going to a job that puts their own health in peril, or they've just been locked down and are frustrated and whatever. And I and I think there there needs to be a lot of empathy for those people too, those internal uh, customers as well as the external. Yep, the Cokes, the Pepsi's, the the Fords, the General Motors. You know, they're all worried about losing talent to the Googles of the world or the you know the Facebooks, etc., the TikToks organizations that genuinely commit to their people. One of my favorite examples is, you know, Coyote Logistics, who I don't know well, but they're constantly held up as a great place to work because of their commitment to their talent. It just demonstrates that if you truly have a heart, if you truly have a soul, if you truly give a shit about your people, it shows through to them that they're willing to go beyond the paycheck and beyond the job description. And that's where greatness lives in any organization, be it retail, be it, you know, uh, hospitality, et cetera. Yeah. Great, great products come and go. Great organizations generally stick around. So let's talk about COVID for a minute, COVID and food service, whether you're a restaurateur, whether you're a hotelier or whether you're work in the travel sector or whatever, this whole industry has been destroyed. And as we come back from all this as food service companies, food service brands try to resurrect themselves uh, from this. And, and, and I understand it's different for Jansan products and it's different for food products perhaps, but then it might be for tabletop products. But what are some of the general keys that brands need to focus on in food service as we come back? Yeah. And I, I want to preface by saying, you know, nothing but empathy for everybody who has basically been in survival mode, right? And that was the right thing to do. I think what I would urge and champion now is while we're still, many are still in survival mode, you need to get beyond survival mode. And you need to, I think what has happened in food service, it's become very utilitarian. It's become about takeout and delivery and getting orders processed safely and from a social distance, which was appropriate. But it's going to be important to move beyond that because it's not going to change, right? That. I'm tired of the cliches of the new normal, et cetera. The fact is, whatever you call it, I think it's incumbent on everybody to embrace change and not resist it. And what are you going to do to move your experience from a transactional and utilitarian one now because of COVID and regain your branding, regain your purpose and tell your story, especially because you can't be dependent on the on-premise experience anymore, right? 
your brand has to live externally in consumers' homes as they do takeout or delivery. But everything from your packaging to uh, your social and digital communications, heck, even if people are wearing masks, perhaps they're branded masks, right? And instead of having the six-foot signage on the floor, why not have signage in the air above so that people are heads up, not heads down, right? So just look back to the little things and thinking small. It's thinking through those details that really can make a difference. So I can't stress that enough. And when it comes to thinking around social and digital, we talked about it a little bit earlier that I don't want to get into the production values per se for this podcast, but you're now shooting for social, not editorial. You're shooting for sharing. You're putting your work in a more uh, social or lifestyle context. And you know what? It doesn't have to be perfect. Consumers like a little bit of raw, a little real in what you're doing. So The authenticity. Exactly, exactly. Yep. Uh, last question, Larry. We've you, This has been a fantastic session. We could go on for hours, and we definitely want to bring you back on, on a whole variety of levels uh, to talk about different different topics. But the last question, and we usually save a tough question for last, and maybe this won't be so tough for you, but uh, it, sometimes it is. If there's a company out there looking for help building their brand, what are the types of unique and differentiated capabilities that your firm, dvkmarketing.com, can offer them? Not a tough question, a little bit of a softball maybe for you today. <laughs> well, very kind of you to ask. And you know what? We're proud of the company we keep, meaning, you know what? We, we are not alone. And there are a lot of great organizations out there. Speaking on behalf of DVK, you know, our mantra is be bold. By that, what we mean is it's not about being loud or bombastic or arrogant. It's about what we talked about earlier. It's about listening and listening to clients' real needs, listening to consumers with, with empathy to really arrive at what's your bold voice and your bold story. And again, you don't have to be loud. You don't have to be big to be bold. It's all about having the courage to own your purpose and to tell your story and to tell it consistently and with authenticity and with transparency so that you can fuel advocacy. So I think this notion of finding that bold place having a holistic view that for us, again, speaking proudly on behalf of myself and my partners, Doug and Adam, we don't have a bias to the solution. We're not going to come and say that, uh, you know, the answer has to be an ad or the ad has to be social media. You know, what's the right solution with the limited dollars and resources that most people have today? Uh, and for that, you know, I say to close, you know, our ability to act with agility and take on even the smallest challenges to the biggest and give them the same level of care and, and expertise. We claim, we, we are proud that we have all the expertise of the bigger agencies that we all proudly work for in our careers, but with the agility of a boutique. And that's a joy to represent and to deliver for our partners. Well, that's great. I, I'd invite everybody again one more time to go to dvcavemarketing.com and check out Larry and his firm. They've been doing it for a long time and creating a lot of successful brands with a lot of uh, both big and small companies. And Larry, I know for one, I, wanna, I don't want to speak for Jay or, or, or Greg, but I've learned a lot today and I think it's been fantastic having you here. I'm sure our listeners have learned a lot. Guys, any last questions for Larry before he takes off? Thanks, Larry. Larry Deutsch, everybody, thanks for coming, Larry. We really enjoyed having you. My pleasure, guys. Thank you. Have a great day. You as well. This episode of Every Other Thursday has been brought to you by TabletopJournal.com. For more than nine years, Tabletop Journal has been covering the global food service and hospitality industry, all the while raising the awareness of just how important Tabletop is to the overall guest dining experience. TabletopJournal.com where we celebrate the products, the people, and the places, all in the world of Hospitality Tabletop. You can learn more about Every Other Thursday by visiting our website, everyotherthursdaypodcast.com. Thanks for joining us today for this episode of Every Other Thursday. <laughs>